Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And as you all know, the listeners have been listening for any, any period of time that I am obsessed with the art of story, um, the art of storytelling. And I think that it is a craft. It's a skill that you can learn. But some of us are innately just genetically predisposed to be ridiculously amazing storytellers. And today's guest is one of those people. Um, you might know him as W.K. Lytle. I'm kidding. It's it's Kelly Lytle is just an amazing storyteller. And the reason I wanted to have Kelly on today, he's currently a sales leader in the insurance tech startup world, uh, transforming insurance and annuity markets in Cleveland. But I don't even care about that. Like, that's great. That's his day job. He's amazing at it, by the way. What he really, really is here for and is gifted on is storytelling. And the art of it, and Kelly's gonna. We're gonna dive into his his expertise here. He he actually he he's written a couple books. He's got a couple. He's, his his blog is amazing. We're gonna share all that with you. But uh, you might know he's actually the the son of former Denver Broncos running back Rob Lytle, uh, who was also in the, the Michigan Hall of Fame. Which that kind of makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit being a Buckeye. But in, anyways, we'll we'll get into that later. Um, and, and, uh, and Kelly's book is two dad from Kelly. We'll get into that. If you haven't read that, we're going to point you to that. It's going to be awesome. His sub stack. We're going to get you to that. Lots of great stuff. Can't wait to dive into all of it today. Kelly, welcome to the driving change podcast. Oh my gosh. I am, uh, well, <laughs> I'm so grateful for that intro. It warms my heart. Um, just thank you so much for, for having me on and the chance to be here and, um, as we talked about a little at the start, I love storytelling. I love connecting people with people and connecting people through story. So um, hearing those words as an intro was just amazing. And, and I'm just so humbled and, and grateful to be here today. Now, when your first big world sensation, a fictional novel comes out and I see it, it says W.K. Lytle on it, I'm going to take full credit for that. You got it. And <laughs> And so, so here's, here's the best part. So I'm named after my grandpa and grandpa was William Kelly as well, uh, Lytle. And so he loved, and my family ran a men's clothing store in Fremont, Ohio for a hundred plus years. And so grandpa loved to monogram all of his clothes. So as a kid, I got to grow up and I got a bunch, I, I literally have an old, um, uh, St. Patrick's Day sweater, kind of a cream sweater that says Ireland across it. And it, in on the bottom, it says W.K. Lytle. And I still squeeze into it every St. Patrick's Day. So I love it. I'm in. I'm in for it. And you didn't even know about any of that. And I'll send some photos. <laughs> it's perfect. Another little point of uh, of connection on the storytelling is, and this is probably going to be lost on many of the listeners, but it's okay. I'll be quick. So you said Fremont, Ohio. I have many, a many, a cold and miserable morning of my father and grandfather dragging me to the Fremont Dam when the walleye were spawning with a cooler full of beverages, spam, pork and beans, and bologna to go fishing at the Fremont Dam. So there's a connection point for you from a storytelling standpoint. And we're just going to keep, we're, we're going to keep rolling on that theme because, so it's funny, I just, 
finished. It's in its draft form. It w- I won't publish it for a while, but I just fin- finished a little short story as part of the collection that I'm working on. Fictional, but it's about, about kids getting in trouble, taking a makeshift canoe down that dam. And um, I literally just like sketched out and wrote a story about that specific place that you've been to. So I love that you know it. <laughs> We've got it in the, the, the ethosphere is filled, filled with the Fremont Dam today. So, well, hey, listen, tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about, we, we go back to your origin story and give us a little bit about, you know, little Kelly growing up and, and some of the values that you were learning that ended up turning you into this amazing storyteller and the gift you have of sharing that with others and, and some of who your biggest influences were as a kid. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. And, excuse me, you know, it's interesting so, so we're recording this on uh, the 14th of September. So it was actually 41 years and two days ago. So September 12th, 1982, opening day of the NFL season. And at this point, dad is this rarely used running back, backup running back for the Denver Broncos. And as he liked, he liked to tell the story, um, my mom wakes up in the morning, looks over at him and he says, oh no, Tracy, not today. Tracy being my mom. And she says, yep. Time to go to the hospital. So they head off to the hospital. Um, I'm born early, early afternoon. Dad gets a police escort to mile, old Mile High Stadium. And he's playing for the Bron- Broncos, obviously. And so he gets a police escort to the stadium, runs out of the tunnel right as, it, as the game is kicking off. I think he ends up blocking a punt that day. Um, but they announced, you know, Kelly, the newest member of the Denver Bronco family, and then the, the next day, the I think it was the Rocky Mountain News, which I think is gone now, ran a, actually ran a cartoon sort of mocking my dad showing up, up to, late to the game with me. And so um, I sort of <laughs> share that because, um, you know, I think as we'll get into, you, you asked about influences, and of course, my dad is one of them. And of course, this idea of, of sports and somebody who was literally born into the sport of fo- football um, had such, a, such an um, interesting connection in my life with, with what I took from my dad and what I learned from him um, and all those good things. But, you know, for me growing up, um, parents left Denver when I was about two years old. We moved back, small town in, o- in Ohio, actually the town where my, my mom and dad met. They were high school sweethearts. It's just like almost... Rockwellian picture of a family, high school sweethearts, college football, American, NFL player, first man to score a touchdown in the Rose Bowl and the Super Bowl, just all these different things. And then we moved back to the same small town where, um, you know, he had grown up, where, where he and my mom had grown up. And as I, as I think about influences, especially around the idea of storytelling, there's, there's three people. And so the first, because we've talked about him already, is my dad. And with dad, you had this big, especially in our town, football star and celebrity and somebody who had achieved so much in this sport that so many people loved. But that wasn't even what was most unique or even most, um, I would say, appreciated appreciated about him. Because what people really loved and what was so unique about him is he was one of those people who, if you were having a conversation, you felt as if you were the only person in the world that could ever matter. And he made people feel that way. He had this amazing charisma and charm and um, just cared so much about that. And he used to say, you know, Kelly, everybody you meet has, has a story to tell. And he said, it's up to you to care enough about them to listen to it. And I just thought that was such profound advice. And I just always found that to be amazing. Um, and then, you know, the next person is my mom. 
And my mom has this almost limitless capacity for compassion and for empathy and for understanding and patience. And what's so amazing about that is, you know, when I think about the art of telling stories or connecting people through stories is, you know, are you willing to be not just to listen to them, but to listen with compassion and to listen with empathy and to really seek a pathway where you'll share your own vulnerabilities and connect at a really authentic level. And so you put those two together and you're already off and running at just somebody who loves, loves the art of storytelling. And then we drop my grandpa into the mix. And grandpa is this sort of gregarious, big smile. Growing up, he looked like Paul Newman figure whose laugh could just captivate any room imaginable. Usually had an adult beverage in his hand and was just sort of storytelling. And I can still pinpoint it. And I've talked about this, this a little bit before, but the literal like, light went off for me that I just loved the idea of seeing people connect through story when I was a kid. And grandpa used to tell this story and um, this takes us back into the 1930s. And so he's a high school student, late 30s, maybe early 40s, pre him going to world, pre him going to World War II. And he has a book report due in, in English class. And of course, being a bit of the troublemaker that he is, he didn't write any of the book report. So what does he do? He gets up there and he wings it and he creates this coming of age story about, you know, a young boy. I think he set it against the backdrop of World War One and, you know, his struggles coming back and just all of these different moving pieces. And he told it so vividly. And at the end of it, his teacher says, well, Kelly, what's the name of this book? And he says, it's Over the Top by Guy Impey. And he made a, and so he tells this whole story and she goes, and he goes, the best part of it is the teacher gave me an A and I made up the whole darn thing, book, (laughs) title, author, everything. And so I I just, I grew up around just these rich and truly, uh, you know, rich characters and just truly amazing, compassionate people who were interested in, in making authentic and, and meaningful connections and doing so through story. And doing so in a way that you used words, you used storytelling, um, which was so wonderful to me. And, you know, it's funny, my mom would tell, will tell the story and people would ask her when I was a little kid, she would say, what, what, what do you think Kelly's going to do when he grows up? What do you think he wants to do? And she's like, I don't know. His range of interest is all over the place. He's like all over the map, but I could see him just sort of wanting to be out you know, on a park bench or under a tree writing stories and talking to people and telling stories. That seems about like what he's most interested in. And so fast forward to today, um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough, um, 2010 was when my dad passed away, and that was a very traumatic and tragic moment, but it led to a lot of things that were very life-changing for me. One is publishing a memoir about our relationship and lessons learned from him a few years later called Two Dad from Kelly, and what that really did for me was two things. One was it helped me grieve, a uh, loss of a person who I thought of as my best friend. And two, helped me understand what, how vulnerability and vulnerability through storytelling could be so magical and important. Um, and then today I continue to write. I continue to write a lot of short stories that um, some fiction, some nonfiction that feel real, but all trying to get people to slow down and appreciate very special moments in life. Um, I have a storytelling community that um, I kind of co-run with my sister-in-law. And so just all of these wonderful things where I've in, I'm trying as best as I can to integrate the world of story into everything I do, including my job. 
And it takes all of that upbringing with, you know, everything from my dad, everything from my mom and everything from my grandpa. And it just puts it all into, you know, into each day. And it's just a beautiful thing. Oh, I love it so much. It's so good. And, you know, I, I like that, you know, we, we are all a sum of our collective experiences, but we're also, you know, the old epigenetics here, we're also a, a sum of, of the collected experiences of our ancestors, right? In many ways, uh, we have adopted a lot of those, like you being able to retell your grandpa's story. I mean, that's a legacy story, right? That's one that just, it will live on in infamy. Uh, but it also gives us a little insight into where sometimes some of our gifts come from. And we can all relate to that. And, and um, I, I want to I unpack a little bit of your experience with your dad. And then I want to move into the, the skill of storytelling after that, because I think the audience can learn a lot from you in that regard. And because I know your dad was taken, you know, pretty unexpectedly. I, I don't know, maybe in his mind, if it was unexpectedly based on the amount of physical abuse that he took over his career, but he was still young, right? Like 56. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. 56. And, and tell, tell us a little bit about the lead up to that in, in that moment. And then what that led you through the grieving process to really discover about yourself. Yeah, no. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, dad was, it was November, 2010. And he was, he was 56 when he passed away and he suffered it. It was a sudden and massive heart attack that ultimately took him. He had had a pretty severe stroke a few years before as well and had seemed to recover from it. But, you know, we knew something wasn't, wasn't quite right. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, dad used to say, um, and I may not get this exactly right, but he would say things like, you know, the average age or the average lifespan for an NFL running back who played more than three years, and he played seven, um, is 55 years old. And so he's like, I'll never make it to 60. And he would kind of joke about that. But I, I always wondered if deep down, uh, maybe he wasn't really joking, right? Maybe he knew a little bit more um, than, than we all did. And, you know, to kind of backtrack for, for folks, you know, dad played He's a running back for the University of Michigan, Denver Broncos, um, graduated from Michigan as the, the all-time leading um, leader in career rushing yards. He finished third in the 1976 Heisman. He is in the College Football Hall of Fame, and then he had a seven-year career with the Broncos. Um, and he loved football. He loved football more than anything, you know, other than his family and his life. And when he was a little kid, he used to walk around and tell my aunt, my aunts, hey, I'm going to be a running back in the NFL. And everyone kind of laughed at him. And so he lived out that dream. But in living out that dream, it also took an incredible toll on his body. And he had 20 plus knee operations. He had fingers that pointed in ways that nature and God never intended fingers to point. And he had scars sort of decorating his body everywhere. And I think I've used a phrase, his, his body, by the time he died, his body was a junkyard of used parts, right? Sacrifice to, to the gods of football. Um, but that's what he loved. And, and even to the, to the last few months he was alive, he would say, all I ever wanted was one more play. And then he'd kind of smile and he had this devilish grin. And then he would say, and one more after that. And he just knew, he, he just loved it. And so... You know, he he ultimately we knew, we knew he was he was struggling, but we it was also um, you know it's 2010. CTE wasn't as known as it is now. He was one of ended up being one of the first 40 brains um, diagnosed with CTE, um, and so you know he his body was struggling and his body was failing, and it had just his heart had worked for had worked so hard and for so long 
pumping upstream against everything that its body had been through that, you know, one day, one day it gave out. And, you know, that was, um, you know, I, I remember almost everything about that day. It's November 20th, 2010. Um, what's funny, and, and, and we've written about this a little bit, actually, my mom has, if you take the month of November 11, plus the day 20, plus um, the year 2010, and you add up 10, what is it, 10, 20, and 11, you get 41, which is his football number, which was, which was sort of an odd thing. And my mom and my sister were in Columbus, Ohio, shopping for Christmas. I was living in Cleveland at the time, and we got the call from you know the hospital that we had to get back to Fremont. And I can remember when the doctor came in, and it was my mom, my sister, and I, and we were just in this small waiting room off to the side of the main um, they pulled us into this small room off to the side of um, uh, the main entrance and the doctor telling us that dad had passed. And I can just remember, I can see the carpet. I can see the desk that was in the corner of the room and I can feel my sister, my mom, and I just crumbling to the floor. And dad had been our, our world. And so our, our hearts and not just our hearts, but our hearts and our souls had just been ripped from us. We had never contemplated this world and we just sat there and just collapsed into the, you know each other's arms in this um, you know waves of tears and sadness coming over us. And I'll never forget that day. And and I'll never forget um, you know uh, sitting with with Dad before you know after he passed. They took him away. They let us spend you know a little time in the hospital room. And his dad, my grandpa, the grandpa I just talked about, was there. And and he just the whole time just said, oh, my boy, my boy, and, you know, crying and so sad and just, um, you know, this, this, you know, awful, awful tragedy of someone who was so special and so meaningful, not just to our family, not just to my mom, but to, you know, so many other people and to have him gone so soon. And it was just so traumatic. And, you know, what, what ended up happening, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but it fast forward as I started writing, you know, what happened is, is I use that as a tool to say, okay, what, what is the best way for me to honor my dad? And how do I bring, you know, joy and love and compassion and everything into my life in every which way possible? And that was, you know, as I embarked on, on writing the, the memoir about our relationship, um, that's what I tried to do. Just how vulnerable, how open can I be to share everything that's inside of me and write myself through my grief and write myself, you know, be as vulnerable as possible to hopefully have people connect to it. And so, you know, there's always lessons that, you know, for every tragedy, right, there's, there's a lesson that comes from it, or there's this beautiful moment that happened during it, or there's something special that can come from it. And what, you know, really was so special for me was then turning, you know, that sadness, but also all the lessons and all the meaning that I'd taken from dad, turning it into what I think are is a collection of very impactful stories that a lot of people can draw meaning from that are very human. They're very vulnerable. They're very raw and authentic. And I think people can connect with, with those stories. And then by doing that myself, I actually understood a whole lot more about who I was and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to use. And as I said, this authentic, this very vulnerable and personal style of storytelling as a way to just connect with people in a way that's truly authentic and real. And it's uh, such a you know powerful story and moving and and I think you know when when you if you haven't gone out and gotten to Dad from Kelly I encourage you to do so the listeners and uh, isn't it funny not funny it's 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 hard sometimes how 
many times tragedies can be an accelerant to purpose. And you always knew inside of you, you were this kind of storyteller and you wanted to aspect, you know, integrate a lot of those aspects in your life. But then sometimes it takes that moment to really throw gas on the fire, right? And say, oh, no, this is not just something I want to do as a hobby. This is, this is my calling in life. It, it absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And that word accelerant is so powerful there um, because that's, that's exactly what, what happened for me. And I, I thought about, you know, okay, dad was 56 when he passed away. And it's so young. And, you know, so I thought about like, how do I take, how do I squeeze as much joy and as much happiness and as much about, you know, who am I, what excites me, what ignites me? Because if you tap into that and can put it out into the world and you know, get over the fear of failing and judgment and that critic that's inside of all of us that lives there and you know, mine's right there, there even now as I'm talking, um, and, and do that, um, you know, that's going to lead to other people connecting with that and helping. If you're putting you know, the things that you love and you're passionate about out there into the world, people will understand that and they'll resonate with that and they'll connect with that. And, you know, I loved, loved, loved storytelling and writing and creating. And it's, it's you know, I had gotten back into it um, because I sort of shelved it in most of my 20s because I thought, okay, you should do something professional and normal and don't, you know, put this writing right. thing to the side. And I'd, I'd really gotten back into it earnestly about a year before he died, which I think was a blessing because it had, I'd done enough of it to make it a habit. And it was part of my routine. And then when dad died, I was able to then take it, you know, to another level and write those stories. And I just, you know, kept remembering it's is, you know, life is too short not to to bring forward into our days those things that that give us passion. You have to do that. And that's so important. And, you know, it it's awful in some ways that it took losing somebody so important to me for me to really understand it and do that. But at the same time, the other side of that coin is it accelerated it. It made yeah. it even more impactful and it made me even more um, just you know, striving to do it. And I think that's what's important. So, Well, and I, I'm guessing you, you would have probably ended up writing something similar had your dad, if he still were alive today, you would have probably be like, I want to honor him and write this book and say, hey, here's a stuff, bunch of stuff I learned from you. But once that moment happened, it was like, no, this is a must. I have to do this now. Like, exactly. This is, yeah. So I'm going to pay you a compliment that I rarely pay anyone uh, in the storytelling world because I think it's the, it's the greatest. Uh, here, I'm going, to, I'm going to do it in two parts. The first is when I read your stuff and I, and I, and I process you as a storyteller and a communicator, in a lot of ways I think of like, you know, the first time you heard Carrie Underwood sing on American Idol and you're like, how does she not already like a famous, amazing artist like you could tell right away the minute you heard her sing you're like she is truly gifted and how has she not been discovered like when i read your stuff i'm like the world needs more kelly lytle like this guy's like the he's like the writing version of carrie underwood like he just got on the stage and he's just starting to slowly drip out his gift i'm like this guy needs to be out there more and i'll tell you why i think that is and how i judge a great storyteller you're not a storyteller you're a story activator 
And what I mean by that is a great storyteller, it's never about their story. It's about the story that they activate in your mind about your story while you read them. That's why I think you're so gifted. So I'd love to get just your thoughts on that, on how when you start to storytell, you know the art and the craft because a great storyteller is not doing it to go through the machinations of painting this amazingly emotionally connecting visual imagery. It's am I activating this something of emotional value in the listener or the reader? Absolutely. And um, first, first, I, I want to say thank you. I mean, um, uh, incredibly moving. Um, I don't think I've ever, you know, ever thought I'd get compared to, to Carrie Underwood, but I'll take it. I'll take that uh, for sure. And yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. You try to get um, writing's hard, and and storytelling is is hard, and you know, it, it kind of comes in waves, and you know, life gets in the way and everything. But I'm I'm happy with where I am and all the journey that I've gone on because I think it's led to you know this kind of moment now that I feel really blessed to be um, putting what I think are very meaningful stories out into the world and doing so regularly, um, which is great. But no, and, and, and to, to your point about um, activate, activating a story, um, it's something, you know, in reading your work, I actually, re- it resonated quite a bit. Um, and I have a note here that I wrote as I was reading story-based selling um, of yours, which is, was just, just tell the story. Don't interfere don't get your ego into the way of it. It's not about you as the writer and how well, how, what great words you can use and how you turn a phrase. And yes, all of that is helpful. But just tell the story and let others figure out what it means for them. You know, you don't have to, to, to kind of beat them over the head with it um, and everything like that. And so, you know, as I think about writing and, and I think about it telling a story, you know, I almost want to... Um, and it's weird to say this because a lot of my stories center are first person and they're rooted in something that may have happened to me, but I like to just kind of get it out there, but let people form, you know, their own meaning with it. Or hopefully it's a universal, it's a universally human moment enough that people can connect. And even while they're reading, they might be thinking, oh yeah, I remember my friend Charlie or my friend Clarence. And we used to do this when we were 10 years old. And this reminds me of that and what a beautiful moment that is. And so um, I, I think what I try to do is think about what are the, what are the hum, most human elements that exist in sort of the emotions, you know, of, of the piece and try to bring those to the forefront to, to let people connect with it. And then once they can connect with it, they're able to, um, you know, hopefully create the world as they see it, activate the world as, the, as, as they see it and, you know, just kind of put those pieces together on their own without me being, you know, write, you know, writing too much. I already speak too much. So without write, using too many words and without over describing a situation or over prescribing a meaning to it. Um, and I think if you can do that, I think it's awesome because if you've connected that way on a human level, then people are going to have a really rich reading experience. Uh, it's, it's so good. And I think one of the things that I love about your work and every great storyteller, whether they're an author or a songwriter, doesn't matter, um, is understanding the, the uniqueness of how when you storytell with visuals, when you storytell with details, you shut down the analytical network of the brain and you open up the imaginary, you know, the, the area of the brain and the emotional empathic network that allows me to to really live in that moment, in that movie. And, you know, I can say, you know, Kelly went to the mall and he bought a pair of jeans. Well, that's what I call a story reporter. 
a, a great story activator is you know, Kelly slipped on his old worn out Wranglers with the, the holes in the knees and got in his 1997 you know, Chevy Caprice classic with the panel door and headed down 71 where he got to the mall. And I, and I, I suck you into that and you are so good at that. And tell us a little bit about are you, how, how much intention is there versus you just become so habitual at living in the space. Like you literally put yourself in the movie and you write about what you're seeing. Yeah, it's it's all of that, which is why I'm I'm smiling right now because you like you literally just described uh, so much of of the process and like right now in my head I'm thinking about the not just the the hole in the jeans but the you know maybe the jeans were a lighter shade lighter shade of blue jean and then mom I got a hole in the knee and mom got me the navy blue jean patch and so we ironed that patch on and it looked mismatched and kids at school are making fun of me and you tell a little anecdote about that and you know kind of look back on it and laugh and then you know think about um uh you know all that good stuff and so I can picture all of it I love it um, true activation there. So, so much fun, but yeah, um, I, I, I kind of, I try to do all of that. And it's, it's funny because, um, it, it, the first drafts are always just a draft. And I, if I, if I, if I'm, you know, if, if folks in here love writing, they love storytelling, you love creating anything. What I will say is just get it out of you, right? Something is inside your heart or it's inside your, your soul. Oftentimes our brains want to get in the way of that. And, self-critic and second guess. And if you have a story or you have a, a something inside of you, get it out and be okay that the first version of it is going to be nowhere near what was actually in your head because it never is. Like once you start writing and, you know, for me, once I, 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 I'll sketch a story and I'll do exactly what you just said. I'll think about, you know, okay, it's not just about getting a new pair of jeans, but okay, what road did we take? What's the scene, you know, what's the setting of that road? And not just the the physicality of it, but the emotion. Um, and because I want to know, okay, what what was my heart beating to at that time? What was the music on the radio? What is mom doing if she's driving? What am I worried about, about school? And are these universal enough for people to kind of connect with it and be like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember, you know, paying homage to mom, even though I wasn't listening to her or whatever the case is. And so I kind of craft all of that and take notes. And then I go to write. And then I inevitably hate it and I'm mad and I get you, my, my wife will laugh because she'll, she'll say, I know, I know when you were writing a lot because you're kind of grouchy because you're not, you're, it's not finished. It's not all the way there. Maybe you had some writer's block and she's like, I can see you. You're talking to me, but you're working a story in your head. And I'm like, I know I try to be present, but I can't help it. And um, because there's something inside of me and I want to get it out. And so, but the, the most important thing is getting that on, on, you know, into the computer or onto the piece of paper. And because that's, that then starts the process and where it's, it's, you know, really helpful for me is I write it. I, I actually write a lot by hand, which is probably one of the reasons I write, sh- sh- you know, fairly short stories because I couldn't take it all at once, but I got in this habit where it just, it, it helps me to connect to the emotions and to tell, tell through story, the emotions that I want people to connect with by, by writing by hand, and then I'll, and then I kind of, then I'll type it, type that early draft, and then I'll come back and I'll really edit it. And so that gives me enough kind of editing cycles to, to hone in on, 
you know, what are the human elements that matter here? How can I be vulnerable in this? How can I, you know, make this more authentic, make it, you know, you know, sing a little bit more rhythmically, whatever the case is. And then that editing process is huge because that's where I really, really try to get into the um, headspace of, of, you know, the characters or character in the story and just live with them. And again, do so not just from, hey, I'm reporting on what's around me, but no, I'm going to try to tell you what's inside of me and what I'm feeling. And I'll do that through this, maybe the same surroundings, but I want to connect it to you in a way that feels raw, feels emotional and feels genuine. Um, and there's this beautiful quote from uh, science fiction uh, from Neil Gaiman, well-known, well-known author. And I, and I thought about this a lot when I was writing the stories uh, in Two Dad from Kelly. And I still think about it a lot, which is interesting when I'm writing fiction. And I'll paraphrase here, but, but he was giving a commencement speech. And he said, that moment in your writing, when you feel as if you're walking down the street naked and totally exposed, keep going because that is the moment you're starting to get it right. And I all that always just blew me away because, you know, even if I'm writing fiction, that fiction needs to be rooted in a real human story that that's I'm using the phrase vulnerable a lot, but that's what I try to do, you know, and have that real authentic emotion um, and do so in a way that, yeah, okay, I'm putting it might be fiction, it might be nonfiction. I'm going to put my whole heart into this and I'm going to put it out there and you're going to feel as if you're there with young Kelly, old Kelly, whoever it is, even if I'm not writing per se about myself um, because that c- connection is so meaningful. I thought you were going to say that the, that, that the quote was that to be vulnerable enough to just you know, put yourself, you picture yourself, you're naked, you're walking down the street, just keep going because there's a pair of pants right around the corner. Like I, I thought there was another into that somewhere it would have been perfect it would have been perfect i should have i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna tell him hey we're gonna adapt this quote because it fits uh, a conversation jeff and i had <laughs> i take half-baked quotes and i fully bake them and i just claim them right oh i love it no and uh one of the things that there was some great work done out of the ohio state university uh, on storytelling and they've actually got a whole lab there now where they're really focused on this it's pretty it's pretty cool um one of their studies they they coined this term, you know, transport, it's transportation, that, that great storytellers have this ability to literally transport the listener into this narrative. And as we know from a neuroscience standpoint, when, when you can activate the senses, right, inside the, the limbic system of the listener, you're, you're, you're tapping into all the feels, right? You got the emotion, you got memories, you got visualization, imagination. When all those things become activated, it's like that listener is now suddenly there. And so, and, and what we talk a lot about, and I love the work that you, you do this very well and very intuitively, I think, is when you see whether it's in business or personal, when the other person starts, their eyes start looking up, they start seeing themselves, they're, they're not listening to your story as much as they're picturing something relatable in their own life. And to give you a good example on some work that you, one of the pieces of yours I was reading, you're talking about your grandfather and the kegerator in the basement with the Strohs or the Strohs you know, beer. And it immediately, instantly transported me to Shelby, Ohio. My grandpa Schaefer, Paps Blue Ribbon was his. It wasn't Strohs. It was Paps Blue Ribbon. Cracking one open. He'd have the Indians game on in the television. I could walk in that room. I can smell the panel 
the wood paneling, and I can sit down with him in his recliner sleeping. And if I went to turn the channel, he immediately woke up and, and would yell at me to, hey, put that back on the game. Like that one little thing you told me, you told a story about your life, immediately transported me to a place in mine that I just loved going back to for even just a minute. It's such a powerful vehicle. Mm. No, I, oh my gosh! Again, that that totally that just warms my heart because right now I can I can picture the Pabst Blue Ribbon and I can I can picture the friends of mine whose dads would would fall asleep on the recliner while the baseball game was playing and we'd be like we're just gonna play Nintendo or change the channel and they would immediately somehow wake up yep. and all of all of that now and I'm picturing you know that the the sort of you know smell and um, you know getting strows for my grandpa and my uncles and everyone and stealing my first sips when I was a kid and being like, this is the worst thing ever. And, you know, (laughs) just all, all of those things with it. And, and, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting. And, and I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit too, is, you know, I, I, I have struggled at times to, to think about, you know, my own writing and the stories that I, I like to tell because sometimes I think, well, I'm not writing, you know, some epic piece about, you know, here's the seven steps to improve your day or seven steps, you know, or, or some, some great business article or some great, you know, journalistic piece that's going to, you know, win Pulitzers or anything. I like to write, I like to write stories that do exactly what you just said, which is to conjure, help the reader conjure an emotion and a connection to something that they've experienced and then by doing doing that, hopefully they're remembering that because there's such a that's the beauty of, of of stories is they help us remember and they help us remember that feeling and the smell and the the wood paneling and 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 everything like that and you can picture the carpet and that you know all of the things um, that go into it and that creates this this beautiful feeling and this this wonderful memory and moment and then in doing so you know, hopefully if we do that enough times, it's like anything else, it becomes kind of a muscle. And so then, you know, maybe in our current day, something small, you know, something that, a, 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 you know, the way a dog might look at us or the way, you know, a kid may, may create a cape out of something and become a superhero. Um, that moment then, we're just a little bit better at appreciating that moment because we've, we've sort of practiced it and thought about it. And you know, you're just like, oh, and you just get to enjoy it. And, you know, life is all of these beautiful and wonderful moments. And if we can capture them, you know, kind of write an experience that feels human and universal and allow people to transport to their own life experience and then hopefully smile or depending on the story, maybe cry a little bit through a smile or smile through some tears type thing. What a wonderful, really meaningful emotional connection. Uh, you, you just said something I think really, really profound, and I, I don't want to make sure the guests didn't, uh, the audience didn't miss it. That great, these great stories take us back to a time and a place that allow us to reflect on those moments in our life and evoke that emotion of maybe appreciation and gratitude. But almost as importantly, it's almost like training us that we're we're we're, we're purposefully put in the past in order that we can become more present in the moment and we start to recognize with more intention the moments in real time that are happening that are great elements to our own story that's coming at us in 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 full hd so it does both i hadn't really ever thought about that yeah by taking somebody back in moments in their life you're helping them actually become more present in the moments they might be missing yeah 
Or, or, or it's just, you know, how I rationalize writing stories that, you know, that, that are overly, you know, nostalgic or reflective. But I do, I, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a funny thing where, you know, people will tell me all the time, like, how do you remember this? Like, how do you remember that this happened when we were nine or 11 or, um, or that what's funny is they'll say, well, it didn't actually happen quite that way, Kelly, but you know, however you want to remember it. And I'm like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm telling the story, I get to write, I get to write the past and future. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think to, to, to your point, you know, it, it, as I, as you know, somebody who, who has spent a lot of time, um, kind of writing, you know, some reflective and, and nostalgic stories, this, um, um, year and for listeners, um, what I'm doing today is on my newsletter. I'm publishing um, a book. Uh, I'm serializing a book, publishing in a chapter or two a week. That's just imagine the Wonder Years meets the Sandlot with some Friday Night Lights sprinkled in. So I've spent a lot of time, um, you know, in kind of the headspace of 10, 11, 12 year old kids coming of age. And you know what I've what I found in my writing is that the more I slow down in the writing, and I'll write this as I'm editing, slow this moment down. Don't rush it. Like, this is the moment you have to capture the emotion. This is the moment, you know, maybe it's walking to the car with your mom to go get the jeans, or maybe it's coming out and getting to the mall and seeing friends and you're a little embarrassed because now life is changing a little bit and it's not as fun to be, you know, with your parents or whatever it is. And I'll, and I'll think about that as I'm, I'm shaping a story and just like, what are the special moments that need to slow down? And then what I found is that in my own life, I see, I feel that my brain is doing that as well. It's like I'm, I've trained myself or I'm it's like anything else, I'm practicing it. And so a moment might happen at work or with family or b- between my wife and I or between the dogs and I. And instead of just kind of letting it pass, I'm just there with it. And I'm, you know, able to kind of put it into the memory bank and put it into my heart and say, oh, what a, what a s- simple but special thing. So I've noticed it in my own writing and there have been people who have, who have, have written me and said very kind things that, you know, they're reading my work has both taken them back um, to memories that they had growing up, but also then has helped them, you know, kind of reflect and, and experience the special moments that are still making up their days today. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's the nicest thing anybody could ever say. That's so good. And um, wow, you know, that's, as you're, as you're as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, boy, how would I live differently every day from a being present standpoint if I knew that six months from now I had to tell today's story? What a great thing. What? What? Like, imagine how different we would all live. <laughs> that's that's some good stuff right there. So I better get an amen out of somebody driving around listening right now. Oh, that episode. was good. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down right now. And then I'll I'll give you the uh, uh, acknowledgement, but I'm take I'm taking it. <laughs> you take it. It's all yours. Um, and I, yeah, one of my one of my dear friends I've become friends with over the last years, uh, Jimmy Yeary. He's a hit songwriter in Nashville. He's written fourteen or fifteen number one hit songs. And um, what I love about him is he he's a true storyteller, but he just loves to do it to song. And he shares our passion for this, this, this art of transportation. And if you, because I love, I'm a musician and I love to, I I like, I'm I'm like a a wannabe songwriter, right? So I'm like, you got to teach me some of your voodoo, right? Because it will only help me in the stuff that I do. Yeah. And he's constantly will do what you say. He's like, no, no, 
okay, where are you right now in the song? I'm like, I'm on the farm. He's like, then you need to get in the barn, sit in the hay, smell the horse. Like he, he's like, he puts you so vividly oh, in the scene. I he's love like, it. And then I don't want you to write anything. Just sit in it. Just be with it. Just, ex- just live it. Process it all. Right. And then after, to your point, after you start to slow it down, now start to chronicle what's happening in the emotion. I'm like, see, that's, but he would tell you, like you would say, it's, it's not people like him and you didn't just fall off the turnip truck being world-class storytellers, right? It's, it's something you got to work on. It's a craft that I, I believe everybody has inside of them. And I get so frustrated when I hear either business professionals could be leaders or managers or salespeople say, I'm just not a natural storyteller. Ah, we're humans. Our brains are natural story animals. So you you are. In us. You just haven't learned how to live in that space and then communicate it effectively. Yep. Um, oh my gosh. I love I love that you share that. And I and I feel so much the same way. And it's it's I, I often say to people, don't get out what is in your whether it's in song, whether it's in music, whether it's in painting, poetry, whatever it is, prose, get out of you what is in your heart before your head gets in the way, right? And then let your head shape it as you need to, but get out, you know, everybody has a story, right? And it's inside of us and people can, you know, there's so much great creativity out there. Um, and it's interesting. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a fun thing and I'll, I'll bring this in. So my sister-in-law and I, about a year ago, started a, a storytelling show. We live in Cleveland. Um, we started a storytelling show and it's, it's been growing. It's been great and it's so much fun. And the beauty of it is, is it is part improv, it's improv meets creative writing meets storytelling. And our whole mission is to connect through creativity, but to also do so in a way that helps people get over that inner critic and to push past it. So what we do is we have three rounds. Each round starts with us pulling a prompt that, or an audience member pulls a prompt. Nobody has any idea what the prompt is. We read the prompt aloud. Everybody who's participating has five minutes to write a story as much as they can end to end. And then you get up to a minute to share it. And so, and you share it aloud for everyone and you can pass if you want to, but people who haven't written in decades will show up and write just amazing things because they have that creativity inside of them. They just need the right balance between some time-based pressure, some audience competitiveness, and just a community that just wants to see people create something cool in, on a moment's notice. And it's this beautiful, spontaneous creativity. And it's amazing when you sort of help people get out of their own heads a little bit and tap into it because everybody, you're, like I, I, I see it every time we do this everybody has a create has a story inside of them everybody has it and it's amazing to see how the different words come out because we'll have you know folks who are are full-time writers with somebody who's hasn't written in 20 years and you would never know the difference because it's just like okay what can i create in this moment and just put my heart out there and just super super amazing and and you know to to anyone listening encourage you to to you know tap into that and try to you know understand what your own story is so you just took a moment in time in your grandfather's elementary life experience and turned it into a program for people to come and attend. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, every. you know what? If, if Grandpa Lytle could do this in 1930, whatever, we can sure as heck do it now. <laughs> you can do it. That's awesome. I love it. 
Well, well, listen, let's talk a little bit as we close here then. Um, I want people to be able to get access to you and your stories. Um, I've been listening and diving or li- reading a lot of the of the stories from your, your sub stack myself. Obviously, I've been connecting to a lot of them. Uh, tell people where they can get your book. Tell them where they can get your could get signed up to get your, your story, the stories that we tell, stories that you're putting out and how they can participate in the stuff you're, you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 thank you for this 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 moment and, and opportunity. Um, so the book is "To Dad from Kelly." You can get it uh, paperback wherever online, wherever books are sold. So Amazon, <laughs> Barnes and Noble, um, all the usual suspects. And again, "To Dad from Kelly," and the book is a memoir of my relationship with my with my dad. So it's it's chronicles lessons learned from him to me. It talks about questions left unasked and unanswered. As, as we discussed, he was 56 when he passed away and he passed away sudden, suddenly. Um, and, you know, given all of the history, right, dad playing at Michigan and playing professionally and somebody who truly, truly lived out his dream of being a professional football player and this thing that he wanted to do more than anything else in the world, and then it cost him so much, right? It cost him his life in many ways. And so there's this question throughout that, was it worth it? And you know, a lot of that is a son reconciling his own emotions of losing his father with it. And um, you know, I, 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 it's it's short. You can re- read it pretty quickly, but it um, packs an emotional punch. And um, again, to dad from Kelly, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, that sort of thing. And then online, uh, the book or the the stories that I mentioned that I'm I'm serializing, uh, you can get them on my Substack newsletter. So kellylittle.substack.com. Let me confirm that. Yes, kellylittle.substack.com, um, and uh, and or fi- find me on social media, and I can I can share it. And so um, what I'm working on now, as I mentioned, it's this sort of take the nostalgia and the reflection of somebody older looking back on their time as a child of the wonder years put that with the coming of age sports crazed kids and quest to be heroes of the sandlot sprinkle in some some dust of friday night lights because it is set around um uh flag football in this case not tackle football when we were kids um so sprinkle some of the friday night lights small town we're playing you know you're you're driving up and you see the big lights coming down and you know this idea of of how quickly all of that fades um, and so it's all fiction, they're fiction stories, but they are meant to feel really real and to blur the line between what's true, what isn't true and what we remember and what we want to remember. And so uh, kellylittle.substack.com. That is awesome. So I encourage everyone to go out there and get it. You get a little bit of a flavor of Kelly. I mean, in my mind, he's kind of like if, you know, Ernest Hemingway and Nicholas Sparks had a baby, he, they, they would probably have someone like Kelly. But as it turned out, it was Tracy and Rob Lytle had a baby, and he's an amazing storyteller and an amazing human. Um, and it's been an honor to have you on. I admire your work. I admire the, your passion for this subject, as you know we both have. And I look forward to staying connected to you and seeing where this takes you. Because I got a feeling that this is only the beginning. I don't even know if we're in chapter two of the <laughs> Kelly Lytle storytelling story. So thanks again for being on. Let's hope so. And and here's what's funny is right behind me the there's a uh, the notebook has a lot of notes because I have a Nicholas Sparks ish book that I have contemplated that's coming at some point in the future. <laughs> Beautiful, I have no doubt. I can't wait. I'll get it for my wife. I'm kidding. I'll read it too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, brother. Thank you for being on. We we appreciate it. 
Thank you. No, appreciate it. Thank you. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.